Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji podcast. We're starting season three of this podcast in Chicago. Welcome to the Fuji podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. Since December last year, I virtually visited a Java user group every month. This journey has already brought me to many places around the world. And this time I'm in Chicago to learn from the Java and Kotlin user groups. So my name is Mary Grigleski. I'm the president of the Chicago Java Users Group. I think I would call myself more like a main organizer now. <laughs> and anyway, but um, so I am, uh, you know, by day I'm a developer advocate. I'm currently at DataStax, a company that does uh, mostly Gen, Gen AI now, but with their Cassandra database and vector database, all those things. And so, but my background uh, been mostly in in like event driven streaming, things like that. Um, so yeah, so by night too, I'm an active uh, tech community organizer, currently with Java Users Group and also a couple other uh, Users Group too that are owned by IBM uh, still. And so yeah, that, that's kind of a nutshell about who I am. Hi, I'm John Burns. I uh, am the one of the organizers of the Chicago Kotlin User Group. And by day, I work at Grubhub, where I'm a platform engineer. So I uh, work on the service platform, not so much the infrastructure side, uh, more on the actual service runtime, microservices architecture stuff. So we are mostly a JVM shop, and we have a lot of tooling and everything around the Java ecosystem to make developers more productive in, the, in that space with their microservices. So I kind of own all that tooling at night. Um, I organize the Chicago Kotlin user group um, with my other co-organizer, Amanda. And I also uh, speak at uh, some conferences. Um, that's me. And I'm Frank Delporte. I'm a technical writer at Azul, uh, involved in a few open source projects and also in the Belgium Jug since it restarted last year. Uh, thanks for joining, uh, Mary and John. Yeah. Can you shortly introduce yourself and especially in how you got involved in Java and Kotlin? Uh, because, yeah, this is uh, the Friends of OpenJDK podcast, so we should have yeah. at least a bit of Java. <laughs> Can you uh, tell me uh, how you got involved in Java? I actually was an engineer, too, for a number of years. <laughs> and uh, I started actually off with C and Unix in the 90s. <laughs> so, And then in about 2000, that turn of the century when Java was born, and I was still doing C, but there was a chance to start working on Java. So I welcome it at that time. And it's like 2000, and I was with Sybase. So I worked actually on the J2, at the time was J2EE uh, server uh, team, too. That's, that's where I was. Um, and that's how I started uh working with Java. And then I soon, very soon too, like 2004, I moved to Chicago and then worked on for a number of companies, especially Chicago, a lot of applications uh, environments. So, so that's really nice. I started working with more product and then venture into application to really use the product and versus designing it and implementing. So, um, so I've been engineering and but the thing is though, in like 2010s and I started to feel a little edgy, felt like something missing. I wanted to do more. And then there was a chance, um, also the timing too in my life, I can start to go to more, you know, meetups and I started going and I really actually really like it. I didn't even know. The fact is, you know, going to meetups and especially Java users group, you know, first and foremost, because I was working with Java. So I started going to Jug um, in Chicago and it's so friendly and just, I love the community. It's just so 
you know, welcoming. So uh, very encouraging. So so that's when I started going. And then eventually, because I was going to ev- almost every single meet meetup <laughs> at the time was Freddie Gimme, who was the uh, president and with Bob. And so they were like, oh, why don't you come help us? And so that was 2015. And start since I started helping, I just get kind of, you know, more and more kind of sucked in, you know, this whole thing. But I really enjoy it. And I realized that's something that felt almost seems like, okay, it's my calling. I I really enjoy working with people and the community. So yeah, so that's also in, you know, kind of a quick summary of how I got involved. So yeah. And also also (laughs) how you got involved into into the Jack. That's great. John, thanks for bringing some Kotlin into the podcast because we didn't have a lot of uh, Kotlin yet. Can you share how you Mm -hmm. got into Java and Kotlin? Yeah. uh, So I... Uh, have done a lot of different things uh, in my career. I started doing kind of some Java and um, .NET, uh, C Sharp .NET, and I've I've done a lot of uh, JavaScript single page app stuff as well. But um, as my per- career progressed, I pretty much specialized in Java and specifically working on tooling for other developers. Um, I've always worked at companies that are not what you might consider pure tech companies where we're selling a software product. I've always worked at companies where we actually have our line of business and the tech is supporting that. And um, so I've always kind of fallen into a niche of I build the software that the rest of the organization uses to build the software that actually runs the business. And uh, since I had some exposure to C Sharp and things like that, I did have some uh, understanding that Java was maybe missing some features, right? In, in those Java seven and eight days, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't quite modern. And so when Kotlin came around, uh, I, I took a look at it and I immediately saw some stuff in it that I really wanted. Uh, and I was sick of, you know, generating setters and getters all the time and things like that. And so I, that really spoke to me. And so I kind of followed Kotlin's development through its beta phase Um, kind of dabbled with it here and there. And then the Chicago Kotlin user group started in early 2017. And so I said, hey, I want to learn more about this. I'll go show up there and see what happens. Um, And I did. And and so pretty quickly, I also got roped into helping out. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually the original person who started it kind of had to step away. And so kind of pick up the reins. Our our user group is uh, a lot of JVM-based Kotlin. Um, but also other stuff. And so we can we can get into that um, mm-hmm. as we go. But I mean, so it's it might seem to some people that Kotlin is this thing that's not Java, but really a lot of the time it, it really is just Java. It's just a little bit of syntactic sugar, but we're still on the JVM and we're still using the same libraries and frameworks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to be honest, my Kotlin knowledge is too limited. <laughs> so it's time to, to dive in for me too. Uh, but yeah, it's running on the cha- on the same JVM and that's that's the most important thing. That's why we're all friends of the same uh, JDK. Mm-hmm. You said that the Kotlin user group started in uh, 2017? 17, 2017. Yeah, yeah. And the Java user group is, is older, I guess? So okay, so that's true. You bring up brought up an interesting question. I was like looking at right. So uh, the current, I'd say, generation. Although people said I'm like the new generation, but let's say going going back to Freddie and he picked up the slack, right? And so that was like 2013, I'd say. So about 10 years uh, the generation. But I wanted to bring that up because it first started when uh, Java came out and Oracle actually first started the Java Users Group in Chicago. Uh, it was run by salespeople. Um, I, I, I believe. And so thing is, though, it didn't last too long, unfortunately. And then somebody else, too, in between, like picked, 
picked it up too. And that also, unfortunately, didn't go for too long. And Freddie, actually, when he mentioned about it, was he came back, he thought, oh, he was, he's, as we know, Freddie from Seattle Jugget now. Um, so he's kind of very um, enthusiastic all the time. So he he uh, restarted the Chicago Jug. He said initially, too, there were only five people coming, five or ten people. Uh, but as such, right, Freddie's very act, um, passionate person. So eventually, too, it, it, people started coming back. And also, I think in 2013-14, there were a lot of new newer frameworks came out and Spring was getting really popular, too. So I think they were, were able to attract a lot of people then. And so since then, and then, of, of course, like Freddie moved to Seattle, and then um, and then I was helping out so much, so I now became the main person since mm-hmm. I think 2018, like around COVID time, actually, right before COVID, I became the main organizer. But yeah, so so that's but, that's how it kind of a yeah. That's an interesting context because uh, from my point of view, I do see those like early 2010s as a time in Chicago when like the .NET ecosystem was very popular here. And yes. at that time is when the switchover was kind of happening, where, where .NET was oh. kind of fading away, becoming more legacy, and, and Java was really becoming a lot more popular. Yeah. Um, so. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that aligns uh, with the resurgence yeah. of the jug. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you, you have two different groups. You have the Java group, you have the Kotlin group. Are there really two different things? Because... Mary, you said, yeah, we have to invite John to this podcast. So you know each other, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I, I've spoken at Jug about Kotlin too. So, uh, yeah. but I think I, I can answer that um, because it's sure. kind of on us as the smaller group is why do we exist, right? Uh, so when uh, the Kotlin user group was started, like I mentioned, Kotlin was still pretty new uh, in 2017. Remember, this is before Google kind of announced that they'd be using it on Android um, and everything like that. So people came kind of from all over who are interested in Kotlin, not just necessarily kind of enterprise industry Java developers. It was people from education, people who were like into Haskell and they wanted to see what they could do with functional programming in Kotlin. And um, Mm -hmm. there was web developers who were interested in using it for web development because Kotlin can also compile to JavaScript. Um, And so there's kind of like a diverse array of people who are interested in Kotlin at first. And so that community kind of formed around that and we still have that today. So whenever we do talks and things like that, that are specifically around JVM Kotlin, we do try to combo with CJUG and do combined events and we work closely together. Uh, But then a lot of times we have other stuff that's just not really about the JVM at all. You know, in those early days also, um, it was a lot of like hack nights and workshops because we're all trying to learn, right? It wasn't, Mm -hmm. there weren't as many people out there giving talks on Kotlin at that time. There were a few and, and we got them, but um, mostly it was just like, let's show up and like show everyone what problem you're wrestling with right now and let's figure it out together, uh, which is kind of like a different vibe from a more established user group. But n- now we do kind of have that more established feel where we have top speakers coming in, speaking about known things, and and then we just have the kind of social part after. Mm-hmm. Um, but but So I think that there's a lot of overlap, but it's not a perfect circle. It's a, it's a Venn diagram. But yeah. that's why we kind of want to keep our, our identity separate. We don't want to alienate those people who are not interested at all in like regular JVM development. I, I think that's that's what it, John put it very nicely, too. And then from CJOC's point of view, I think we're getting so big, too, I do have to say. It's hard to address every single aspect of 
of Java. And um, so I think, you know, obviously Kotlin is uh, to me, right? I always look at it like we're cousins, <laughs> kind of if you look at a family and we're related, and though not exactly the same, but from the same family. So uh, it's nice too. And John's been always so friendly and actually he's really big help too. And, and I would go a bit more into, you know, the COVID time and just all these things. And I mean, having John around is really a nice kind of, you know, you have your cousin there helping. <laughs> it's really nice, you know, helping the Java users group. And of course, you know, we each have different focus and different history and everything. So, but I think, you know, it's always nice to have like multiple groups or multiple people doing something like this. And and, and I think, you know, it's like, you, what what is it called? You, the sum is greater than its parts mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. something, right? So it's, it's, you know, never, never hurts, I think, to, to have mm-hmm. like combination. And that's why I said, when Frank, you asked me to come to this podcast, I said, well, let's have John too, and just makes it more flavorful. Mm-hmm. Let's hope, you know, this, uh, this podcast recording is, you know, the content for folks are more, you know, more than just Java, JVM, and we have Kotlin as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Like they say, one plus one is three in this case. Yeah. <laughs> and we learn that's from right. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's something we've seen in, in the evolution of Java. Then if you look at Kotlin versus Java, like you, you mentioned, you were sick of the getters and setters. Now we have the records in Java. So I guess one and the other inspire each other. And that's, I think, yeah, probably also in your jugs and in your user groups that you are inspiring each other with the type of events that you organize. Yeah. How big is the is the is the user group? CJUG currently we have like registered is like three thousand three hundred something. I didn't look wow. the latest, so um, almost three thousand four hundred. I was kind of really impressed too. Although mm-hmm. I do have to also comment that you know not everybody is active and yeah. So and then I also see people leaving, um, but also at the same time people joining. So I think it looks like more people join than leaving, which is good. Um, so yeah, so that's the size we are in right now. Yeah. So the Chicago Kotlin User Group on Meetup.com has. 938 members i just looked it up uh but ah. I mean, yeah realistically what we get on a on a well pre-covid and we could talk about what happened with covid but pre-covid we were getting usually around 30 or 40 people to a meetup um and uh it's much less now post-covid yeah covid it's mentioned i think in every jug podcast <laughs> is it had a big impact all the real life events stopped but it's much harder now to get people from their home office to the jug or to the user group. Is that the same feeling you have with your organization? Yes, say for CJUG, right? It's I think that's what we are experiencing right now. And it was probably last year, 2022, when things started reopening up and you know all the restrictions from the government started relaxing. So that's when we started running in-person meetups and we tried it a couple of times and the attendance wasn't very good. You know, every time I think we had maybe four five in-persons. And uh, I'd say it was roughly, you know, like I said, with 3,400, you know, not all active uh, members, we had roughly maybe in the beginning was like 20 people coming, like 20, 10, between 10 and Mm -hmm. 20. Um, So, and and the nice thing seems to be this year, and just last week we did a meetup and uh, that was 85 sign up, but uh, so we got about 25 who came. And then still there were people joining us from uh, remote, on our live stream too. And partly it's because too, is that we have attracted folks from other countries to join our group, you know, during COVID. I think that's one nice side effects of COVID is you are attracting, we're, we're able to attract a lot of uh, 
you know, remote uh, attendees and from other countries as well. But yeah, but so to answer your question, I'd say right now to 20 to 30 people mm-hmm. uh, in person. Yeah. So uh, but I think also is because we we talk we've talked about it, too, with other drug leaders. Probably it's because of folks working from from home, then they don't want to commute. And in Chicago, Chicago, too. The traffic is very bad. If you kind of come into the city in the evening, you all, you're bound to run into some traffic conditions. So yeah, so that you know then isn't helping. So so, so yeah, so so that's the scenario right now for us. So we had a little bit more success on coming back from COVID um, because, oh. like I said, we we used to have around thirty to forty people show up, and after we oh. started doing in person events again this year at the beginning of this year, we've mm-hmm. been seeing kind of like ten to fifteen. Um, so. It's a pretty, it's a lot less, yes, but it's a pretty good percentage of what we used to have. Yeah. Uh, and I think I attribute that to a couple of things. One is um, Amanda, the, uh, my co-organizer, uh, did a great job running virtual events throughout the pandemic. Uh, we just never stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so that kind of kept everything going and kept us in people's minds. Uh, and uh, But it is hard. Um, like With Chicago specifically, I think we kind of have this like split where Mm. there's a really big tech community in Chicago, but it's Mm. kind of split between who's downtown and who's out in the suburbs. Um, And then even amongst the people who are working downtown, most of them still live in the suburbs. And Mm -hmm. so the the group of people who are willing to stay downtown after work and go to a meetup Mm -hmm. uh, are pretty much limited to people who are living in the city, working in the city, um, and that's a very small subset of the mm-hmm. overall tech community. And so even though it is a very big tech city, um, the yeah. the user group attending subset of that is actually fairly small. Uh, and, yeah. and, and and all of the big user groups that are here, like we also have an Android one and there's a React mm-hmm. one. That we all see about similar numbers. I think for one thing, I also want to mention, yeah, CJUG too, we continue the whole COVID time. We continue having like, at least like once meet up per month. So I think that helps. And like I said, we also attracted a lot of folks from from remote countries even. So yeah, from other regions too. So I think I think that's the good thing. And uh but yeah, to try to get the local people to start coming back, I think it's it's hard. Yeah. People seem to be like, oh, we like we love it. We love the community, but to get get them to come it's a not an easy thing so yeah and a lot of people are hybrid work from home Mm -hmm. uh still here um so they're working in the office only a couple days a week and so if the event doesn't line up on the day they're in the office they just won't come yeah Uh, so that's that i think is also another reason why it's hard to get back up to those same numbers do you still use virtual broadcasting let's call it so every event is also virtually in our case, right, CJUG, uh, if we do in person, then we also uh, try to live stream because, mm-hmm. again, the video person also is volunteer. But, yeah, so far, though, we have been able to also uh, do a live stream at the same time. So that's how um, we do. We do that as well, as yeah. long as our host uh, has the facilities mm-hmm. for it, which so far they mostly have. Yeah, because I heard from a lot of jugs, they don't do that because they really want to focus on the community feeling. They, they find oh, yeah. the, the part with the drink and, and the pizza almost <laughs> yeah. as important as the, as, the, as the talk itself, which, yeah, that's something you really are missing if you're joining as a virtual uh, guest. Yeah, our, our kind of take on that is, of course, that's true. Like being in person, you're going to get a lot more out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the people who join remotely aren't going to get that. But the thing is that if you don't broadcast, 
it, then those people probably just won't be involved at all. At least this is the way they get to see the talks. Um, and maybe they'll come to the next one because they see mm -hmm. how cool it is. Um, yeah. Or some people just can't make it in uh, for whatever reason. And uh, we kind of roped those people into our community uh, during COVID and we didn't want to just turn our backs on them now that it's over. Mm -hmm. Or not over, but not, you know, uh, back to in-person in -person events. Did you find any tips and tricks you can share with other uh, organizers from, from meetups? Uh, how to attract people to come back? Yeah, that's always a, a challenge right now. Um, I think for me, sometimes I, I look into the topics. What are the topics that are uh, more trendy or more attracting people? So I try to also... Take a look. I mean, we also have speakers who want to speak for us, but I also give some preference to thinking, okay, these might be an interesting topic and things like that. So I think topics definitely will be kind of in, important too. Yeah. Let's say, you know, with Java, it's always spring, something to do with spring. It's always kind of, you can always find the audience. Um, yeah. And uh, these days, actually, I'm thinking of, I should do something on AI as well, even though it's kind of new, but um, but it's kind of coming. It's like the wave is coming. So let's kind of do some of these things. Um, so yeah. So to answer your question, I think first thing is maybe have attractive uh, topics too. I think that's one. Uh, maybe John also you have some idea. <laughs> One thing so. we did when we were first starting to come back, we tried to do, and we are planning to do more, our social only events. Uh, so this is kind of, we pick a place like a, there's a place downtown here right on the river with a patio area and oh. just set up a meetup for people to just meet up there. Um, we don't like reserve space at the place or anything. We're just, um, whoever okay. shows up, we show up and grab some tables. Um, and uh, because the, the talk, a lot of times you can get that online now uh, through so many user groups and online events. Um, but uh, as a way of just like recentering on the community, like uh, for those of us who we haven't seen each other in years, let's reconnect, reintroduce ourselves um, and, and greet anyone who's new, uh, who's come along uh, on the way. And uh, so that's kind of been good for like bringing back that like sense of community and meeting people uh, face to face. Because when you have a talk and then you have the social part after mm -hmm. usually you're getting kicked out of the building like pretty quickly <laughs> and you don't have that much time to talk and so setting up some social only events uh gives uh, some more space for that so that's one thing we tried uh, and also we've been able to get kind of bigger headlining uh, speakers i guess you could say i think because of like there being less conferences and things like that going on um we were able to kind of get some speakers who normally would not bother to come to our user group <laughs> uh so we've capitalized on that and gotten some big name speakers in and we try to do combo events like we did one with cjug uh where yes. we had uh josh long and justin riak uh from spring and gradle um and that was a great event uh, and that got a lot of people out you succeeded in limiting josh long in the, the time that he was speaking <laughs> i cannot remember exactly we did. yeah we did because yeah. one of the earlier podcasts we had with the Jack, they mentioned the most <laughs> remarkable one was Josh Long, and he couldn't stop. And I think they were just thrown out of the building after three hours. Well, the trick or was like that, that Justin had his talk after Josh. Yeah, okay. Leave, so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. For you personally, what is the benefit of being part of the community and organizing these events? Did that have an impact on your job, on your career, on on your community around you? 
Yeah, I think, you know, interestingly, I do have to bring it up. I When I first started helping CJOG, right, it was around, around like 2015, 16 timeframe, I was still a software engineer in uh, Chicago. Um, and uh, and because I started helping the drug more and more, I started also doing speaking, which something it was something that I was more nervous about doing prior to that. And I didn't know I can talk right? because I was just simply shy. I think it's just for different reasons, right? And and so and maybe I thought of trying, but just being like, felt a little suppressed or just a bit of a not so sure. But because of Jug and uh, C-Jug and uh, there were there were also like uh, lightning talks that I, you know, that's available for people to sign up. And so I thought, oh, let me give it a try. Although I do have to say the first time I did this lightning talk for five minutes, it's probably, I probably took two weeks to prepare. It's kind of funny, right, to kind of I think back. Um, so kind of putting it that way. And I feel because the community is very encouraging and really everybody you know, you really feel everybody has very sincere. I think it's just this amazing effect of having a community. Everybody has the same kind of interests and goals and so to speak, right? And so um, so you feel more encouraged. You feel more like a cheer team behind you. Um, and I think it's just from that experience, I started feeling more confident and realized that I can be a speaker too. It's actually maybe something that I was, I felt being suppressed kind of started coming out to the foreground, something that I can express myself. And I feel better too, because I think that it could be my calling, but I never knew, but then finally got brought up. It's really encouraging. Um, so I think for me, that would be, I can say it's a personal benefit. And mm-hmm. and because of that too, I started becoming a developer advocate because IBM happened to be looking for a Java developer advocate and they were asking people in Chicago too. And I thought, you know, the timing was good. I said, well, why don't I give it a try? And that's how I started becoming an advocate. And since then, I've, you know, since 2018, I should say. So it's just roughly two, three years after I started helping, you know, with CJUG. So that's, I can testify is a benefit for me on a personal level. So, yeah. yeah. It definitely impacted your, your career. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, we... I really enjoy, I realized, wow, I really like meeting people all over the world. And it's just, it doesn't matter where. I just love it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and I guess for you, John, it was a way to learn Kotlin. As you said, yeah, the first meetups was just getting together and experiment with Kotlin. Around that time, I also spoke at um, CJUG Lightning Talks and, and things like that. Um, uh, but I hadn't done much of that. And so I went to Kotlin to try to learn Kotlin. Um, but as I stayed there, um, and what I've seen from not just myself, but others around me, the benefits are, I first of all, would like to definitely second what Mary said about speaking, because I now have speak, uh, spoken at a few conferences, and I am not a natural speaker, a public speaker either. Um, I was terrified of doing that. But going to a user group really uh, gives you a good opportunity to try it out. Uh, because we're almost always looking for speakers, right? And sometimes we get those big name speakers like we talked about, but most of the time um, we're just finding somebody who has something to say and just trying to get them in front of some people. And so uh, we have a lot of members of our group specifically that have gone on to speak at big conferences like Kotlin Conf and um, other, other conferences who just started speaking to our user group as like, members like, hey, I think I have something to say. Let me say something. And we encourage everyone to do that. Uh, We encourage, even if your talk is just, here's how I learned Kotlin, like just your own personal story. That's a great way to start because you know that story better than anyone. And so you don't have to worry about not being an expert. Um, And so that's a great way to get into that if you want to. Um, And it's also a great way to grow your professional network, which is, I think, really important in times like this where 
Yeah. There's a lot of layoffs and mm. uh, not as many companies are hiring. Um, it can be really helpful to have someone you know at a company that can tell you this company is a good company, first of all, and uh, that they're hiring and can refer you in. Um, and But you have to do that when it's not times like this. You have to be invested in the community and, and these relationships first. And then when something like this happens, um, you'll, you'll be more prepared. You're both uh, so also active uh, conference speakers. Uh, Mary, you have a frequent flyer mile card, which explodes, I think. Like I said, right, I really like um, meeting people. I think that's my first and foremost. And and it is true. I have to say traveling around can be tiresome, but I really get energized. I don't know what it is. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going here. I'm going there. But I know, too, when I get home, I'm like, OK, now I got to go somewhere. I got to do all my laundry, getting ready. And <clears throat> it's not very easy. But the, the idea of, OK, I'm going to see somebody meet somebody and and you know all these things that really motivate me every time so but it is very true i'm actually have to mention i you know chicago that's united's headquarters so i fly united and i'm platinum right now so it's almost one k so i'm like okay how many more flights i'll be one <laughs> k <laughs> that's kind of like i never would dream of i mean i'm still kind of you know 12 points or whatever the pqp the, the, the thing, they're like new way of counting. It's just so confusing. Why don't you just say how many miles and I get this? And so, but anyway, so yes, um, I do have to say it's also the benefits of getting like, you know, so, so many chances to go out and see things. And for me, just to be with different communities too and meeting people. Um, and you find that people are the same everywhere. Everybody is like, you have the aspiration, especially if you're developers, we're talking the same language, right? As of Java or JVM. And it's just really nice. Everywhere you go, you feel that there's a home somewhere and that welcomes you, kind of that kind of a feeling, this, uh, this whole global community type of feel. And I do have to say, um, it, it's a very nice um kind of unstructured yet also uh, an amazing kind of setup everywhere that there are jugs and you know we're not paid everywhere is being run by volunteers and people who are passionate um to make this happen i i think it's a very nice uh kind of setup if i think think about it right it is a very nice thing to make everybody feel at home but i think on the other hand you know on i think on the marketing level i guess you know for oracle right so they are it's kind of smart too, because this way you also um, sustain the community. You you make sure Java keeps going, their community process, there are different things that are happening because of this community. And actually talking about which to my co-speaker, one of my co-speakers, because I'm doing also mm -hmm. joint talks and sometimes I'm asked by different other speakers. And so Ko from uh, Netherlands and Ko Turk, and he and I have been doing talks and he called me his uh, community colleague, and I think it's a nice term to describe these people. I'm meeting other people, but we are like community colleagues in a sense. So, yeah, so I think it's just, it's a good thing. So I think we all feel, have a feel, or how can I say, we all have this need, you know, kind of as a human being, you want to feel like you're part of a community. So, so yeah, that's that sense of, I guess, belonging in some ways. So in this case, a, a professional organization, but outside of work, I think it's, it's a very nice, you know, nice kind of thing to have. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that you say that it's a friendly community around the world because I saw a message from someone who said, yeah, I'm accepted as a speaker for first time at the conference. I'm uh, both excited and ter terrified. And oh, yeah. <laughs> that you are excited. Yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking at the conference and definitely for the first time, but being terrified, 
is actually not needed because the people at the conference, they come to learn and they know that you are there to share yeah. what you have learned. So yeah. they're very forgiving if you make a mistake or if your demo doesn't succeed, which always happens, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, I think, one of the, the nice things about this community is indeed the friendliness that you uh, feel that's everywhere. Right. Yes, totally. Yeah. Okay, uh, thanks. Uh, we already covered a lot, but uh, there's uh, one nice question that I kept for the last. Can you share the best, the worst, or the most remarkable session that you had in your user group? Or maybe uh -huh. it was one session which was all three of the same things? <laughs> I already, I just mentioned that one uh, with Josh Long and Justin React that we had recently, so I can skip past that one. That one was really good. But um, earlier in our history, we had a talk from Thomas Neild, who talked about using Kotlin for data science. And this was back in, I think, 2019 or so. And, you know, every, I mean, it's still mostly Python, right? But everything was Python back, back then for data science. And uh, he really made a strong case that it shouldn't be necessarily. And uh, it was a really good talk. We had huge attendance for that time. Like we had like 50 people there. We had never had anything close to that. And we didn't expect it for such a strange topic like data science and Colin, who's doing that. Um, and But it was really well received. And and now you see there's like Kotlin notebooks in IntelliJ, uh, like uh, as kind of like similar to uh, Jupyter notebooks. And so it's like the idea had traction and still moving forward. And so that was just a really great talk. I think he gave it to our user group before he ever gave it to a conference. Uh, so that was uh, really kind of special. Uh, and then one more uh, is... We actually ran a conference in 2019. Uh, we had uh, dual sponsorship from Google and JetBrains to run something called a Kotlin Everywhere Conference. It was a one-day conference. You know, we we kind of partnered with uh, our local GDG Google Developer Group to do it, but the, uh, they helped us with like the money because we don't have we're not a we, we don't have money. We're not an LLC or whatever. So uh, they helped with that uh, a lot, uh, but. Uh, for actually organizing the conference and the speakers and the tracks and the venue. It was mostly me and Amanda. Neither of us had ever done that before. Uh, so we were way in over our heads. But uh, we figured it out and we got some uh, really good mentorship from uh, Mary and I's mutual friend, Todd, uh, who has helped oh, organize both of our groups in the past. Uh, so, um, yeah. and we uh, we made it happen and it went really well. It was a ticketed paid event. We had over 100 people there for an all-day conference, and uh, we had some great speakers, and it just went really well. Uh, and then for worst, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to have a cop-out answer, but I'm going to say anytime we actually meet, it's good. Okay. Um, we had, the, when, remember I mentioned earlier that we're, we tried some social-only uh, uh, yeah. events, mm -hmm. and the first one we tried was last year. It was October. The weather was starting to turn, and it was like our last burst of warm air. So I said, let's try to meet up and let's do this like outdoor uh, event. And we planned it and everything. And then the day came and it was just a rainy day, like just storms wow. all day. Mm -hmm. And so I still went. Uh, they mm -hmm. had like a little like, you know, overhang you could stand under. And I went and one other person showed up uh -huh. and it was someone who I used to work with who had left and gone to a different company and they were using Kotlin over there. And yeah. he just wanted to come and mm -hmm. tell me that he's using Kotlin now and, and talk about it. And it was just a one-on-one -on -one catch up with someone who I hadn't seen in a few years. And it was great. So yeah. uh, anytime people are getting together to talk and meet, I think it's good. 
Um, so that's my uh, that's my cop out answer for uh, for that one. That's a very nice story. A user group yeah. with two persons. Yeah, <laughs> and I, sometimes I agree to. Sometimes you know it doesn't matter how many, but it's really the engagement level that counts. Like if you have everybody, you, even if you just like three, four people, everybody is so engaged, and and you have great conversations. I think that's what it counts. Even like as a speaker, I feel when I do presentations. I mean, I have had in cases of like a thousand people too at the at the hall or something, and and also sometimes can be just five or six. And because I also spoke at some conferences, there are primarily, let's say, a .NET conference, and I was speaking there as Java, I only got four or five people, but people who came actually were very engaged. And so, yeah, it really um, doesn't matter, right? You just, the level of engagement. Um, but okay, so back to your original question mm -hmm. too, about the best and the worst. Um, I'd say, you know, is CJOC too, there's so many, sometimes I can't even remember exactly, but I do have to say some of the celebrity speakers who came, like Vancat, um, we, one time we had Brian Getz too, but that was way before COVID. Um, and then, um, some other maybe bigger names speakers. And those are always memorable. And uh, for CJOC too, pre COVID times, we actually, you know, would have like almost a hundred people or something for Vancat and it's quite easy. But you get, usually you get 200 sign up and you get, it seems like the percentage is always like 50% mm -hmm. show up rate. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like everywhere I go, it seems to be a 50%. Um, so yeah, so those those are usually very good. You get such a high, you know, great group of people and their conversations, their social thing, people hanging out, even after you, you know, lights out or something, people are still talking in the, in the elevator, things like that. So we have had plenty of those too, even with smaller audiences. And then, so I, I think those are kind of great. Um, I wouldn't say anything is really worse, but I do have to say though, there was some company that came and wanting to do pretty much a, use it, our platform as a webinar type of thing. So we've done that before. And, and unfortunately, one of which didn't go too well because it was uh, maybe more like a business sales, pre-sales person came do a talk. And so we have had those in the past. And so, yeah, so we try to like be very careful now if there are companies wanting to come to us and wanting to do more like a, you know, pre-sales type of thing. And, and, you know, sometimes I would still allow them to do it, but I really had to have to have to make sure that, you know, telling people, can you make sure, you know, it's not going to be a, a sales overtone because, you know, especially developers, we're hypersensitive, right? Or allergic, <laughs> I should say, <laughs> use that word of to like marketing messages. So not that, they shouldn't market, but just have to do it in a more subtle way like mm -hmm. that. So, so I'd say that's how, you know, the CJOX experience experiences have been. Yeah, so. And indeed the number of people that show up, it's always the right people who show up. They are yeah. the people interested in the topic. They want to that's see right. that speaker or hear about that topic. And they are really that's the right. people you need. Uh, and then it doesn't uh, matter how many people are actually that's there. Right. Okay, yeah. thanks a lot uh, for sharing your experience, for bringing us to Chicago. Thanks for uh, joining, thanks for listening. Keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. And uh, hear you in the next Fuji podcast. Give me a Foo, give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.